Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The 174th edition of the Four Corners podcast starts right now. From the Basketball Podcast Network, this is the Four Corners Podcast. We win! 54 to 53, North Carolina did it! North Carolina wins the championship! With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Fred Brown looking, throw away to Worthy! Worthy five! The Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber front court, Carolina with foul, he takes the timeout, they're out foul. of timeout! Technical foul! Technical foul on Michigan! They're out of timeout! And the party is ready to begin on Franklin Street. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May! It's over! Carolina has won the national championship! 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national dadgum champions. Love guarded by Keels. Gets a screen. Pulls up for three. Got it. Caleb from straight away. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Just Josh here with you guys today is with Carolina on a mini bye week of sorts. I thought it was a good time to have a couple of guests on and you know, whenever Carolina has struggled in the past, we have turned to a good friend of the show, Isaac Shade. He's the host of the Locked on Tar Heels podcast. He's also the national Locked on College basketball podcast host and a contributor over at Keeping It Heel. I had him on um, to, to help us talk about the current state of the season with Carolina right now, 5-4, and four, completely unranked outside of the AP Top 25 after just a month of the season. I turned to him to help us answer some of the tough questions right now facing Hubert Davis and his team. So without any further wait, here's my conversation with Isaac Shade. I am now joined by the host of the Locked On Tar Heels podcast and the Locked On College Basketball podcast, all a part of the Locked On Network. He is Isaac Shade. Isaac, good afternoon, man. How are you doing? Hey, hey, Josh, I'm doing great, man. It's so good to be here. A crazy time of year as we get close to Christmas, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, no, I definitely would either. I'm looking forward to Christmas, as many people are as well. And, Isaac, first off, I have to apologize because I feel like every time you make an appearance on the show, it's during a time where Carolina isn't playing its best basketball. <laughs> and and so with that, like I, I, I often joke that you are my Tar Heel therapist. I come to you to talk about <laughs> making the team make, make me feel better. And that's where we are after a four-game losing streak and a, and a losing streak that saw Carolina fall completely out of the top 25 rankings. Um, and, and look, it, it, I'll just say it quite frankly, nobody saw this start coming, not after the way last season ended, four guys coming back. You do get as good a transfer replacement for Brady Manick as you could get 
and Pete Nance. But five and four just isn't isn't acceptable most years at Carolina, but let alone when you have all the hype and expectation that this team has. So, Isaac, I'll simply ask you, man, how is this team where they are right now? Well, part of the issue is that I I think you just said it in in that question, Josh, is I think with the four returning starters minus Brady Manick, you get in Pete Nance, and I think that people imagined it was going to be a one-for-one substitution. And the way I've been saying it is that Pete Nance is, to me, an an undoubtedly better all-around basketball player than Brady Manick. But what Pete Nance is not better at is what this team specifically needs to make it better, which is being a legitimate high-volume stretch four. That's not what Pete Nance brings at at a high level. Not that he's not a stretch four. It's just that he's not the the volume level as Brady Manick was. What does this team need for Caleb Love and R.J. Davis to operate at the highest of their capacity? What does this team need for Armando Baycott to have all the space he needs inside? They need a four who unclogs the middle of the floor so that Davis and Love can get to the rim and so that Armando has plenty of room to operate. Now, that's not the only thing, but in terms of personnel, that is the glaring and obvious difference to me. You know, I I think that's all right because, you know, I – I had a lot of people on in the preseason, like basketball people. John Crispin, a guy you see on ESPN, he told me, Pete Nance is a better basketball player than Brady Manick is, but we don't know if he's a better fit than Brady Manick is. And right now, through nine games, he has proven not to be. But I do think if you remember back to this time last year, Brady Manick was a bench player. He was coming off the bench in favor of Dawson Garcia. It wasn't really until January we we knew how important Brady Manick was going to be to this team and with that that means there's still a lot of time for Carolina to figure this thing out and for Pete Nance to be the big reason why they figure it out the the offense though I I think and as you mentioned what Pete Nance needs for everyone to be its best he hasn't provided but even with that this offense has been nothing short of frustrating to watch because it doesn't look like Carolina basketball you know I, I was listening to Huber Davis's radio show and he said the problem is is that we're not making the extra pass that Carolina is known for their assist rate is the lowest of any power five school in the country is it really just that simple for Carolina that if the ball starts to move the way that we are we're used to seeing it move that we'll see an uptick in offensive efficiency or or, or do you think there's more issues underlying on offense than, 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 than maybe just ball movement for the Carolina well I, I think it's all part of the same thing Josh the 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 thing here is that as ball movement happens, then it opens up for better shots. For example, if you're getting those post touches and kickouts and moving the ball, then that leads to your team shooting better than the current. Like as a team, Carolina is shooting 29.1% from three. Part of that is if you're moving the ball more capably, then that opens up better threes. If you're moving the ball more capably, then the, the rebounding game changes. It, like all of these um, really downturn statistics that Carolina has are all, I think, a product of things that come together if they begin to learn how to operate more capably as a unit. To your point about assist percentage, that's one of the stats I keep detailed numbers on. Two years ago, Coach Williams last season, the team averaged assisting on 55% of their made baskets. This season, 
their highest single game mark is 54.8%. Mm. So their highest single game tally this year is lower than the average from two seasons ago. That, I mean, that to me is telling in and of itself. I mean, you look back to the end of last season in the Marquette game to open the NCAA tournament, they assisted on 85% of their made baskets. They were just not even sniffing that. They had a game this year where it was 18% and it's 25% each of the last two games. And so to me, that all starts with RJ Davis and Caleb Love deciding how to get their teammates more involved in the flow of the offense. Let's let's focus on RJ really quickly. Then, then I'll ask you a question about Caleb Love. I, I feel like for him, there hasn't been too many times that he's taken the shot that I've been upset with. And if he, uh, mm-hmm. you you talk to Anthony a lot on the football side of things of your podcast, ask him how I feel about shot selection, and he'll tell you that I'm very critical. <laughs> with RJ, that hasn't been the case. Do, do, do you feel like at some point? Is this kind of reminiscent to what Wayne Ellington did at the start of the 2008-2009 season where he was getting good shots and wasn't making them? Or do you think that maybe R.J. Davis is pressing a little bit more and that's why the shots he's taken just haven't fallen to start the year? Yeah, I, I think it's some of both of those things. There, There is a regard in which I've, I've always seen a weird dynamic between Caleb and R.J. And I, I'm not like that's no insider knowledge or anything. I'm just saying purely observationally, I feel like there is a a weird give and take between the two of them where it's like, this is supposed to be RJ Davis's team to run, but it's like Caleb almost can't allow himself to let that happen in the way it needs to, for the team to be most productive at times. Um, And I think that's less about selfishness on Caleb's part and more about Caleb feeling like I got to be the man and take it on my shoulders. For RJ, yes, I think it is a degree into which he is pressing. I think he feels um, this way in which, like, I've got to make shots to make this team good. Because I'm, I'm with you. I think his shot selection is by and large good. But, but at times, it's not coming with the type of ball movement that we saw, for example, again, the, la- the latter third of last season. And so I think I don't think there's any mechanical issues. I think it is more a mental thing of, okay, my shot's not falling, but I'm a shooter, and eventually there's going to be regression to the mean. So I got to keep shooting, and it's going to eventually go in. And so, I, I, again, I don't think it's anything mechanical, but there is a sense in which it's got to be confounding for him. You know, I I, I want to piggyback on you said the dynamic that does exist between Caleb and RJ because Schubert Davis is very quick to tell us in the media the heart and soul of this team is RJ Davis. We're gonna go as far as as he's gonna take us. Our you know Armando Baycott is our best player. Pete Nance is probably our most important player, but R.J. Davis is the heart and soul. If you go back to last year when those two guys played really well. It was him kind of initiating the show, but in crunch time situations, the ball would naturally end up in Caleb Loves' hands once they got into their half-court action. Do you think that if they got back to that where R.J. Davis is the primary ball handler and Caleb Love is playing off the ball, it, it would make the game and the shots come easier for Caleb Love and R.J. Davis and reopen this offense back to the same way we saw it in March of last season? 100% it would. Uh, basketball teams are at their best when everyone 
not only know fully knows their role, but also fully accepts their role. A great basketball team is all about role definition. For example, that's why Texas is having a great start to the season, although they just uh, took a loss to Illinois uh, a night or two ago, um, is because they have guys in the right spots and those guys know what they're supposed to do and they're executing it. I think until RJ and Caleb each fully accept what they are asked to do as part of this team, it's, they will get better than they are currently, but they will not be able to find the ceiling that they reached last year. And and frankly, I, I Josh, what I what I can't figure out, I've been trying to figure this out for a couple of weeks now. I don't know if it's because of a lack of conversation, like of direct and honest conversations from the coaching staff to these guys, or if if they're having those conversations and then it's just not happening on court. Something right, something is amiss there. And I'm not sure which one it is, but something's got to give if this team wants to achieve what they want to achieve. Well, well, now let's transition to Caleb Love because I think one thing that has to give is his shot selection. That was the focal point of his offseason was, was becoming a better shot taker to become a better <laughs> shot maker. And, you know, through the first nine games, that simply hasn't happened. His percentages are where they should be given the amount of shots he's taken. I mean, he took 36 shots in the game against <laughs> Alabama. Alabama game, yeah. You know, and that's the most since I, – I know Lenny Rosenblum took 43 in an ACC tournament game in 1957, and that was during a time where you had to win the ACC tournament to make the NCAAs. And I'm not telling any lies here. Lenny Rosenbluth was a better college basketball player than Caleb Love is, so you could justify him taking 43 shots. When it comes to Caleb Love's shot selection, is is there any reason to believe that he's going to become a better decision maker in that aspect of the game? Because the one thing he doesn't lack is confidence. Because he, he he's he's not afraid to throw that thing up there, but I mean we're, we're we're going on three years now, and it feels like even if he's hot or not, he's going to take shots that aren't 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 in the rhythm of the offense and are and are very questionable. Are, are you hopeful? You're 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 the optimistic guy between the two of us. Are you hopeful that his shot selection can and will improve this year? Well, sure, I'm hopeful, but uh, <laughs> this is one of those moments where I'm going to be a realist and say I just don't this. At some point, you got to call a spade a spade. And I, I think we've got what we've got with Caleb. Um, and so for Carolina fans, for for those who love this program, I think it gets to a point where uh, he is what he is and he's going to do what he's going to do. And either the coaching staff is going to do something uh, to get his attention to help him realize that he's not changing those ways or that he's going to continue to do that. And so, you know, what I'm not so subtly alluding to there is, does that mean moving him to the bench for some, um, you know, some period of time just to really get his attention? Now, who knows how that affects dynamics and things like that, but um, gee whiz, it just, yeah, so I'm hopeful, but realistically, no, the the, the man's not going to change. Another guy who knows who he is and has really came into his own has been Leaky Black. Um, yep. You know, if you had to ask me for my dollar, he's still the best perimeter defender I've seen in Division One college basketball. That has continued into this season. But given the issues of Leaky or, or of of Caleb Love and R.J. Davis, the inefficiencies of time of Pete Nance and, and Armando Baycott, people have looked to Leaky Black to step up and be more of a contributor on offense. 
And to his credit, there have been some games. He made a big three in that game against Alabama. He, he I feel like his shot selection has gotten a lot better, and he's looking for his yep. offense more frequently. Is it fair, though, to ask him to become a, 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 a night-in, night-out contributor on that end of the court? Because... I don't think it. I don't think that it, it exists in his game, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. But it does feel like, given the issues, that maybe we do need to ask more of him on the offensive end of the court. I, I think you're spot on, and and it goes back to what we said right out of the top of like last year, when everyone is so perfectly suited into the roles they're asked to play. When Leaky is asked to just hey go lock up AJ Griffin, go you know shut the clamps down on Kihei Clark and Virginia won't be able to initiate anything at all on the offensive end of the court. When when that is his focus and it's like, hey, anything on the offensive end is a cherry on top, that's awesome. You're able to do that when the other four guys on the court with you are Caleb Love playing at a good offensive efficiency level or at least better, RJ, <laughs> Brady Manick, and Armando Baycott all functioning at a high level offensively where Leakey's more of a facilitator, a cleanup guy when he needs to be maybe a corner three here and there. But in this season where Love and Davis are both shooting under 30% from behind the arc, where Pete Nance isn't the volume shooter that Brady Manick is, where Armando just like has been really solid, but he's not been up to his level of, of expertise. And then of course is so banged up right now, the poor guy that it forces leaky into offensive roles that that this team wouldn't expect of him or necessarily want him to do but it's almost like he has to take that on uh out of necessity and then you start thinking about when when some of the lineups shift around seth tremble is such a dynamic athlete and defender but he's not yet a perimeter threat puff johnson is is a very solid shooter but he's not his brother and so if you've got any kind of lineup combination with leaky and puff and stuff out there where's the offense going to come from Mm -hmm. and so i I think almost by necessity he's being forced into more of that now to leaky's in phenomenal credit he has been holding up his end of the deal i think in almost every metric i've looked at it it seems to me that he has been the most consistent two-way player on this team this season of of being up and ready for games on both sides of the court now have there been like the last two games he's had two total points again at indiana at virginia tech um and so right he's not going to score a ton every night his, his assist numbers are also way down this year which has been puzzling to me of course that's part of the whole team dynamic and so um even even that said leaky black to me is the guy that has been bringing it and ready to bring it game in and game out this season if, if for Caleb Love, the focal point of the offseason was shot selection, the focal point for Heber Davis was developing more depth on his roster. And, you know, I, I, I kind of coined the phrase all, all, all offseason long here that you can get to the national title game playing six guys. I don't think you can win it playing six guys because we learned that the hard way last <laughs> April. And so Huber Davis stressed the importance of wanting to be a deeper team. And it's one of the times where he's very pointed in the media where he says that I don't determine minutes, they determine it by the way they 
by the, by the way they practice in practice and the way they they play in games. And look, through through nine games, it hasn't been from a lack of trying. He has been very Roy Williams esque, where he has tried a different lineups that don't make a whole lot of sense in an effort <laughs> to create more depth and have more guys that he could trust to look down the bench and and put them in the game when called upon. It hasn't it hasn't flourished the way that I think we all hoped and expected it would, because this roster is just naturally deeper than the one was a year yep. ago. Why do you think he he and the team have struggled to create more depth off the bench, even though there is more talent and depth sitting on the bench this time than there was a year ago? Well, part of it is that the the starting five have not even in the five games they've won have not done the things to get a big enough lead that allows Hubert Davis to trust in the guys off the bench to come in and hold it. Now, mm-hmm. philosophically, I know you could raise issue with that to say, yeah, but that's part of the lumps you take in the non-con is roll out some of these various lineups, give guys opportunities so that when you get into ACC play, you can trust them already. And I hear that difference, and I would probably coach that way myself. But I'm not Hubert Davis, and I'm not the head coach of the North Carolina Tar Heels, <laughs> thank goodness, because I don't want that responsibility. But that's how he's chosen to do it, is to say, like, hey, even in these games, I'm going to run my my starters out there for 35 minutes a game or whatever it is. And if if there are guys coming in who aren't holding that level, well, they're just not going to be in there. Well, then you start to look at the way things are playing out, and you, you know from last year how much Coach Davis trusts Puff Johnson. Well, he starts the year injured. Now that he's back, it seems like he's fully, I mean, clearly was fully healthy enough to play 48 minutes, I think it was, in that Alabama quad overtime game. So so that's great news. But other injury issues, just as you're starting to see DeMarco Dunn mm-hmm. finding some, some uh, confidence in himself, broken hand, uh, and still waiting on Jalen Washington to get in the mix. And unfortunately, Will Shaver's just not ready. And so there's just not enough front court uh, capability to do it yet. Um, but I think you do right now, outside of the starters, you see that Coach Davis reliably trusts Puff Johnson, Seth Trimble. It was DeMarco Dunn. Uh, but we're also, we start, we saw Tyler Nickel play over 20 minutes mm-hmm. in that Virginia Tech game. And so uh, I know his defense leaves a lot to be desired, but he is a willing offensive player. He's not afraid of the moment. He's a confident dude. And so, I mean, you, you see eight, kind of guys in there at least right now i'm very hopeful that jalen washington can come in and be a contributor we're looking at him to get into the mix hopefully saturday against georgia tech or maybe next saturday when the tar heels or next tuesday excuse me when the tar heels host the citadel and so we'll see with that but but outside of that i mean clearly justin mccoy is not going to be a consistent contributor uh dontra styles something something i i'm keeping my eye on that um because something is going on yeah. there. I, I don't know if it's uh, – just keep your eye on announcements from him at the end of the semester. We'll put it that way. Um, and so there's just some of those things. And so I think with Dunn healthy, you probably have nine guys. And, and when Jalen Washington's ready, ten guys. So I think some of it is a product of just some, some of the injuries and other issues going on in the early part of the season. We're talking with Isaac Shade, the host of the Locked On Tar Heels podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I want to follow up with Seth Trimble and Tyler Nickel because both guys were on the court for important stretches of Carolina's 
run in the second half against Virginia Tech that saw them cut an 18-point lead all the way down to three. For Trimble, him being on the court hasn't been anything new. He, he's been the most frequent uh, frequent guy off the bench, not named Puff Johnson. But that was really the first extended action for Tyler Nickel, who scored eight points. And as you mentioned, while he leaves a lot to be desired defensively, a willing offensive player. What did that experience for those two guys do for them both in the short term and the long term of their Tar Heel career? Man, that, that is a wonderful question. In, in the short term, I think it just gives them confidence that their head coach trusts them to be out there in those kind of moments. And, man, for a basketball player's psyche, that cannot be understated how important it is to know, hey, my coach trusts me, and so I can just go out here and play basketball. Right? Am I going to make freshman mistakes? Absolutely. Like down the stretch, uh, after Carolina had cut it to three, uh, you mean you got to feel if Caleb Love hits that free throw and, and cuts the lead to two. There's mm-hmm. there's really all that momentum, but he doesn't, and Carolina's never able to get back that close. Part of it is that Virginia's Tech started targeting Tyler Nickel on defense at that point, and then he's just not ready to stand up to Justin Mutz or Hunter Couture or any of these experienced ACC players. But in in the long term, some of the uh, deficiencies that he showed in that moment, um, just just him being out there on the court in Blacksburg, first ACC game of his career, same for Seth Trimble, he's playing 20-plus minutes. And so just getting that experience – is monumental. I mean, like the start of the game, it's like the same thing they do at their football games. I think of that season opening game in Sam Howell's junior year. It was a Friday night. Carolina just came out flat, but that place was rocking. Enter Sandman going. The same thing was going on Sunday afternoon. Blacksburg Castle Coliseum is just an electric place, especially when the uh, the Tar Heels come to town there. And so um, for them to get to play in a hostile environment. That's the first true road game for the Tar Heels this season. And for those guys to get to do it speaks, uh, is just going to give them such a great level of preparation for what they're going to face night in and night out, whether on the road or frankly, back at home in the Dean Dome. A couple more for you, Isaac, and I'll let you go. Hubert Davis said on his radio show on Monday that he is going to continue to play three guard lineups with Caleb Love, RJ Davis, most likely Seth Trimble. Uh, and that the full-court press that you saw in that second half against Virginia Tech combined with that half-court trap, those things are are here to stay moving forward. He says that he he likes the way it impacts the game, and he thinks he has enough depth to do those type of things. Do you think, though, this is a sign of maybe desperation that he's making this kind of major, major, you know, switch in his defensive philosophy? Because Carolina just doesn't do that. They, 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 this hasn't been a program, you know, traditionally under Roy Williams that full court pressed or trapped out of it. I mean, they would trap after a timeout or something like that. But yep. that became a big part of what Carolina was doing in that comeback. So, what do you what do you make of this 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 philosophical change we're seeing from Hubert Davis after just a month into the season? I I actually am a huge fan of it, and I'll, I'll give you a couple reasons why. Number one, I don't think it's desperation. I, I have seen a willingness in Coach Davis in these first two years to adapt more to his personnel than Coach Williams was often willing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that probably goes back to his NBA mindset of like, hey, you know, this is more about winning in whatever way we need to rather than necessarily running a specific style or um, 
uh, or sets of plays. And so I, I all offseason said I cannot wait to see Carolina roll out, hopefully, a three-guard lineup of R.J. Davis, Caleb Love, and Seth Trimble because I think it can be devastating defensively to opponents. And so personally, I, I have been calling for it, and I love that it's actually happening. I, I didn't know if Coach Davis would pull the trigger on it, but he did. And to your point, man, the, the the that comeback in the final 12 minutes of the Virginia Tech game was predicated on Carolina's defensive intensity. And for a team that at least to this point in the season has not shown a capability to score um, consistently game in and game out, they're going to have to rely on that defense to be the more consistent thing. Another reason I think that's a win is because I've already started to wonder if um, I, I just don't think necessarily that Pete Nance and Armando Baycott together is the best use of a Carolina lineup at this point because they haven't learned how to operate together um, in, in the post and clear out space. And so if you can go to this three guard lineup plus leaky or puff at the four and then either armando or or pete nance at the five i think that is a better use of carolina's personnel right now um now is it going to be that way all season i don't know but i think that is a more dynamic lineup for what hubert davis has and so i'm all about it and in fact i've started to wonder is it worth looking at a, a at least for right now a, a starting lineup change where you don't have both Pete Nance and Baycott in the lineup to begin a game, or at least quickly change that and not have them playing as many minutes together as they are right now. Now, depending on how long Armando Baycott's out, you might not really have the choice with that. Um, but but I loved seeing that starting lineup that had Puff Johnson and and Pete Nance at the four and five, essentially, or, or it could have been leaky. That's essentially interchangeable at the four. But this three-guard lineup could be devastating. I mean, you think about a team like Baylor uh, being able to roll out Adam Flagler, LJ Cryer, and really a dynamic freshman in Keontae George. Like, that is going to cause havoc in the Big 12. And with as good an on-ball defender as Seth Trimble is, I mean, he is just... I would I would hate to be a, um, <laughs> taking care of bringing the ball up against him. He's so ferocious guarding one-on-one and and is athletic enough to stay with anybody so if i'm hubert davis i'm not only uh okay with that change i'm i'm gonna see how much i can employ it long term let's focus really quickly on you suggesting that maybe a lineup change could be in the fold because i i i'm right there with you i i and i think hubert davis showed you in the alabama game that his ideal starting five is Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, Leaky Black, Puff Johnson, and Armando Baycott. Those were the dudes that played the extended of the minutes until Baycott took himself out of the game with the injury. My issue and the reason why I don't know if you can roll with that is with the way Leaky plays on offense, you're kind of playing four on five because he is more utilized as a screener and a passer as opposed to a scorer. Puff's kind of the same way where a lot of his offense is generated off of backdoor cuts and offensive rebounds. You're not initiating offense. Do you think that's the only hesitation is to make that lineup change? Because I'm with you. I don't think Love or, or, or I don't think Nance and Baycott are a duo that work well together because Nance is more comfortable down low, and so is Baycott. And you don't have the high-low game you had last year with 
Manic in Baycott. So do you think the 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 limitations of Puff's offensive game is the only reason why you haven't seen Hubert Davis change his off his starting five? I think so. I mean, even with the the normal five of Pete Nance, Baycott, Leakey, and Davis and Love, they're already not not operating at a high offensive level. And so you take one of your whether whether it's Armando or Pete Nance. In this scenario, we're saying it's Pete Nance. If you take one of those guys off the floor, you're limiting yourself even more. And what does that do? That allows the defense to key in even more on RJ, Caleb, and Armando. And that's just not a recipe for success. So the more offensive weapons you have out there, the better off you're going to be. And so I think it's ultimately a cost-benefit analysis for Coach Davis and the coaching staff. Is like, hey, is what Puff and Leakey can do together defensively and intangibly enough to offset what they're doing uh, or, or not capable of doing on the offensive end of the court. For example, here's something I often talk about with Leakey. If he is able to hold, let's say, um, Carolina's playing NC State and he's guarding Terquavion Smith, who's just a dynamic scorer. And let's say, Smith, I haven't looked at his numbers lately, but let's say he's averaging 20 a game. If Leakey can hold him to 10 points, being 10 points under his average, that to me is just as good as Leakey scoring 10 points. And so for Coach Davis and the coaching staff, is that enough to offset what uh, having a better offensive player in the lineup would do? If so, go ahead and roll out a different starting lineup. If not, you got to decide to use that a little bit more sparingly. And um, again, that's just an analytics thing and looking at, at the cost-benefit analysis of it. All right, Isaac, I'm going to get you out on this question here. Carolina, as we've talked about, they sit at 5-4. and four. They're currently on a four-game losing streak. They're not ranked yep. inside the AP Top 25. But the, the, the beauty of college basketball, a lot like baseball, another sport you and I both love dearly, is that it is a long <laughs> season. And it, it offers you time to figure things out. So if Carolina is going to turn this season around and have the type of year we thought we were going to have starting all the way back in, 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 the, in the start of the season, how do they do so? That's a great question. Let me hit the baseball first off. Boy, your Mets and my Braves just really crapped the bed down the stretch there. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm right with you on what you said. Everything – I mean, Carolina might have already played itself out of a one or two seed. But, I mean, it, it is absolutely possible to still get a top four seed in this tournament. It's just part of the reason it seems like the world is falling, uh, Chicken Little style, is because these four games came in a row. But so much of that is because of, I mean, think of all the external factors surrounding this losing streak. Five games away from home, you go straight from the West Coast on Thanksgiving, a 10 o'clock local tip on Thanksgiving Day. You have that four-overtime game. Then you go straight to Bloomington, Indiana. They never return to Chapel Hill. And then they come back, and they got to turn around after getting in at 5 a.m. on Thursday and go play at Virginia Tech a couple days later, having like one-and-a-half practices. You just don't have any time to fix any of the issues. Now they get home. They sleep in their own beds. They get away from each other for a little bit. Let let some ailments hopefully heal up. And then you got a Georgia Tech team on Saturday that's frankly not great. They're not they're not Louisville. Wow, how bad are the Cardinals? Um, and then you get the Citadel on Tuesday, who on paper is the worst team Carolina plays all season long by Ken Palm metrics. And so for me, it starts right now. You gotta go out against Georgia Tech in the Citadel 
and take like figure out some things. And I think Carolina can absolutely do that. They're they're going to have some time to practice this week. I know it's limited because of exams going on, but I, I am looking favorably to those two games. Um, and and it all goes back to part of the reason you got yourself into this scenario is the Iowa State game. Right? The rest of those losses I can get. I, I understand losing at Indiana. I understand um, losing at Virginia Tech. Is it is it what a preseason number one should do? No, but I can I can rationalize it and understand it. But the pressure was put on those games because you lose against Iowa State, and now there's a lot of pressure where when you play um, Ohio State at Madison Square Garden a week and a half from now, that's one of what now currently is one of only six remaining quad one opportunities on your schedule. Mm-hmm. So you put a lot of pressure on yourself to win that basketball game and all the other five remaining after that. But can Carolina do it? Absolutely they can. And, and we saw, I mean, we have a one-year-old example of Carolina turn, figuring it out and turning it around. I have every confidence in Coach Davis and the coaching staff and the players to go and do that. But they've got to decide that they want to do it. I don't know if they need another Dewey Ferris post-game a players only locker room conversation uh, as, as helped turn things around last year. But I mean, part of it is you look at how miserable the ACC is. That's not going to help Carolina's resume, but in terms of wins and losses, they, they, they absolutely should win a ton of games. The problem is you got a lot of opportunities for bad losses if you don't go out to do it, but I fully expect North Carolina to make the NCAA tournament. I'm not worried about anything like that, but I, I do think their seating has already been affected and, and that's something to watch out for. But, man, I, I think the Tar Heels absolutely are still top three team in the ACC, although Virginia has, I believe, right now the best team in the conference. And mm-hmm. so that that's something to watch out for. But, yeah, North Carolina is going to be fine. And I, as I always do, I'm going to continue to preach patience, remembering the context in which this four-game losing streak has happened. I mentioned that you're the host of the Locked On Tar Heels podcast, as a, in addition to being the Locked On College Basketball podcast. Where can people find all of your great Tar Heel and overall <laughs> college basketball content, my man? Yeah, great. So all all the Locked On shows are both on video and audio format. So um, you can find Locked On Tar Heels and Locked On College Basketball on YouTube. And for audio, any of the podcast platforms you listen to all the myself and all the shows are on twitter you can find that that's a great place i I interact a lot on twitter if you want to come and have conversation with me there all right isaac well i appreciate you for your time and and hopefully the next time i bring you on (laughs) we will be talking happy tar heel topics as opposed to having you to sit here and 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 be my therapist and talk me off the ledge as Carolina's struggles to the season kind of caught me off guard. You know what, Josh, I'd love to be able to not have to be a therapist, but I'm always happy to do it. All right, I appreciate you, man. We'll talk soon. Yes, sir. There you go, guys. That is Isaac Shade, the aforementioned host of the Locked On Tar Heels and the Locked On College Basketball podcast we're gonna take a quick break we got this week's ad from DraftKings and when we come back I'll shut down this edition of the Four Corners podcast the NBA season is heating up and there are still so many games coming up like if you're a local fan of the Charlotte Hornets the 76ers are in town the Minnesota Timberwolves are in town or if you're a Nick fan like me there's a lot of games coming up as we get ready or as we continue to make our way through the NBA season where you can make plenty bets 
on the association. When I'm looking to get in on the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money lines on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out, guys. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to DraftKings. Go, go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more you, the more you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win. So whether you're betting on just a straight-up win or how many you know threes Steph Curry is going to have or how many rebound, uh, rebounds Joel Embiid is going to have, you can place all those bets and parlays at DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. Place a $5 pregame money line bet on any on, on any NBA team to win their game and get a $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply. See show notes for details. Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great offers we've been giving you here on the Four Corners podcast. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough Blog podcast. Well, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show, but I do want to stress to you guys, get over to our website, HeelToughBlog.com, where Anthony has been working around the clock, keeping you up to date on all the transfer portal news for the Tar Heels. 11 guys are in the portal. We've broken down every single one of those, and today a major loss to the Tar Heel football program as Phil Longo has accepted a position at Wisconsin. So now Carolina has to find a new offensive coordinator uh, going into next season. This is going to affect a lot of things. Most importantly, maybe Drake May's decision to remain a Tar Heel. Find all that great coverage and more at HeelToughBlog.com. There's also great basketball content as well as I'm con- as I'm continuing to take you through the basketball season. As for our podcast, you know where to find us. We're on every major podcasting platform. Simply just search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We encourage you guys to rate and review to the podcast. But most importantly, we want you to hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any game preview, any game recap, any great interview like this one with Isaac Shade, hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. But with that, I want to thank Isaac once again for joining me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that.